Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to The Ringer Podcast Network. True Detective is back, and The Ringer's Chris Ryan and Jason Concepcion are our guides as we navigate the twisting pathways of season three's plots, themes, and characters on the flat circle, a True Detective after show. Follow Jason and Chris as they chase down leads, explore each episode's cultural context, and discuss true crime cases that mirror the ones in the show. Join the guys live every Sunday night after True Detective on The Ringer's YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook pages. Hey, what up? It's Shay. This is the last bonus episode of Villains. I'm very sad that I have to say that. Kara, can you play a clip for us here? Can you please give us like 20 seconds of a baby crying just to get us all in the mood? 20 seconds of a baby crying. Thank you, Kara. There it is. Thank you, crying baby. That's how I feel too. Let's get... <laughs> Wait, I, I probably shouldn't tell you all this, but normally when I ask Kara to play a clip, she plays like, she just gets a clip off the internet. But for this one, she actually found a baby in the street and then she pinched it. And then just... <laughs> Let's get into the questions about Chong Lee. First question. Hey, Shay. My name is Rick from New York. I got a question for you regarding uh, the three villains in Bloodsport, Kickboxer, and Cyborg. Is that one of the greatest runs ever of villains in movies history? Uh, for me as a child, those guys scared the crap out of me, especially the dude from Cyborg. I'll let you go, man. podcast is awesome. Look forward to season two. Take care. So you're talking about the string of villains that Jean-Claude Van Damme had to stare down in the late 80s. He had Chong Lee in Bloodsport, which we, of course, we talked about. He had Fender Tremolo in Cyborg, the guy you mentioned. He had Tong Po in Kickboxer. That's a tough, that's a tough threesome. Real quick, two things here. Number one, the guy who played Fender in Cyborg, that main bad guy, is the same person who played War Child in Point Break, which I did not realize until I recently rewatched cyborg which is like a it's a good movie and a bad movie it's like somewhere right in between i'm not all the way certain number two a question i got about 200 times after the chong Li episode came out was who would win in a fight between chong Li and tong po and what's wild is that fight actually already happened the guy in Bloodsport who fights chong Li and gets his leg broken that's the guy who plays tong po and kickboxer they just fucking put a lot of makeup on him to try to make him look like he was from Thailand. I guess they couldn't find any people from Thailand to play Tong Po while they were filming in Thailand. <laughs> it don't seem that hard to find a Thai person in Thailand. I don't know. I don't know what sort of obstacles they were dealing with. Probably racism. <laughs> but yes, to your question, sorry, to your question, that's a great run of villains for someone who had to fight. You can even stretch it out further because after Kickboxer, Jean-Claude Van Damme was in Lionheart and he had to fight Attila the Hun there. Lionheart is like another underground tournament 
of fighters. He fought Attila the Hun in that. After that movie, he was in Death Warrant. He fought the Sandman there. And then after that, he did Double Impact. And Chong Li is in that one too, except his name is Moon in that one. The closest you can probably get to matching that run is when Rocky had to fight Apollo Creed in Rocky II, then Clubber Lang in Rocky III, and then Ivan Drago in Rocky IV. Another good one is when the Fast and the Furious gang had to battle The Rock in Fast Five, and then Owen Shaw's crew in Fast and Furious Six, and then Deckard Shaw in Furious Seven. But yeah, that's a great that's a great stretch of villains. Next question. Hey Shay, Eric here from New Jersey. Love the show. Wanted to know what you thought about the African fighter in the Kumatai. Um, just you know, in '88, I, when I saw it, really didn't matter. But um, kind of now, it kind of rings slightly racist. Wanted to get your uh, your thoughts on it after my rewatch. I just kind of felt uh, kind of a cringeworthy moment there, just when he was fighting in the whole monkey style. So, uh, uh, looking forward to uh, potentially hearing my, your answer on the uh, on the air. All right, buddy. Take care. Love the show. Bye. Yeah, I can't. I can't figure that were they remaking Bloodsport today, they'd go with the black fighter fighting in a monkey style, kung fu kind of way. That part's bad. They're showing all of the fighters getting ready for the tournament, and he's just chopping coconuts in half with his bare hand in a tree. <laughs> That's tough. That's a tough part. I remember we rewatching this as a kid and being taken in by the Paco character. I know that Paco is not exactly Mexican in the movie, but he was close enough for me to be a little bit excited about it. I even started doing the thing that he does where he holds his hands up in front of him like he's riding a Sons of Anarchy motorcycle. I would do that when we would pretend to fight. Oh, man, I miss Sons of Anarchy. Kara, can you play a clip of Sons of Anarchy for me? Can you play a thing where it's just a bunch of the characters from the show saying some version of Jesus Christ over and over again? That's like one of my favorite little little silly things that happens in Sons of Anarchy. They all say, Kara, can you give us 30 seconds of characters from Sons of Anarchy saying a version of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ. Come on, Jesus, man. Jesus Christ, that guy shits more than a grizzly man in a human. <laughs> Look at that guy. Jesus Christ, put that deformed nutbag away, will you? Jesus Christ. Mom, for Christ's sake, stop cleaning. Bobby, Jesus, what are you doing here? Oh, oh sweet Jesus. Oh, sweet Jesus. Praise Jesus, it's a miracle. I suggest you turn to Jesus. Jesus Christ. That's perfect. Thanks, Kara. Next question. Hey, Shay. This is Andrew from Austin and love the whole season. I was wondering, my question is whether it be a Kumite tournament style or like an Anchorman all-out freefall, what happens when these villains go up against each other? Um, going back all the way to the start, I've been waiting to ask this question all season. So do with it what you will. Um, maybe like most, every villain acts within their own abilities. But uh, tell me what you think. Thanks. Okay, so we picked villains based on categories, right? There was a horror movie villain. There was the animated movie villain. There was a gangster movie villain. We were just sort of plugging in 
those pieces on and on and on like that. And they were all dangerous for very specific reasons and in very exact ways. For the scenario that you're presenting here, that's the thing that would definitely be tilted in Chong Lee's favor if you're saying, okay, let's take all of the villains from season one and let's arrange them into a kumite where they're all going to fight each other. That said, I don't think he would win. He would crush almost everybody for sure. He would demolish Hannibal. Hannibal would walk onto the mat and try to do the thing where he's talking to you. He's trying to like talk you into giving yourself up or losing the fight. But that doesn't work with Chong Li. It'd be like trying to talk your way out of being attacked by a great white shark. Like you could present a very compelling case and really zoom in on the shark's psychoses and all of that. But when you're done, the shark is just going to say like, yeah, I mean, that's interesting, but I'm just going to fucking bite your legs off now. <laughs> so Hannibal's out. His skills don't translate here. Same with Amy Dunn, Reagan, even Nino and Ernesto and Regina, like Chong Li is walking through all of those people. But you know who he loses to in this fight? He loses to Killmonger. Chong Li wasn't the best fighter. We saw that on at least two occasions. We saw that when he was fighting Ray and when he was fighting Frank. It wasn't that he was just like this master of martial arts. He was just willing to do what the other guy wasn't. That's why he won. That's why he was so terrifying. But if you line him up against Killmonger, Suddenly he's eye to eye with a guy who doesn't have any problem shooting his own girlfriend in the head because she's become an inconvenience or choking an old woman because she's questioned him or throwing a guy off of a cliff just to prove a point. Killmonger is walking out of our villain specific Kumite as the new champion. He has too much for Chong Li to overcome. He's a more skilled fighter and he is at least as mean as Chong Li is. Chong Li is losing again, sorry to say. Next question. Shay, would you agree that Van Damme's best movie is either Bloodsport or Double Impact? Bolo Young is the villain in both. There's no way that's a coincidence. Is there? Is this evidence that the villain makes the movie? Greenlight season two already. This is Marco from Albany. I agree with two of the three things that you mentioned here, Marco from Albany. I agree that Bloodsport is Van Damme's best movie, yes. And I agree that in many cases, the villain makes the movie, yes. That's sort of the entire point of this podcast. That's what we've been talking about. That's what we've been discussing. The villain is oftentimes more interesting, more compelling, a more intricately written character than the hero because there's so much other stuff that has to go into it. So I do agree with those two points. What I do not agree with you on is that Double Impact is the other contender for Van Damme's best movie. Although that does help sort of prove a different point here. When you have an action movie star, you have to have one movie that everybody recognizes as brilliant, and then you have to have some other ones that you can argue might be as brilliant or might secretly be better than that one. Like with Stallone... You could say, oh, Rocky IV is the best action movie he's ever done. And then you've got some other ones that you can throw in there too, like Rambo, of course. With Schwarzenegger, you could be like, oh, Terminator is the best action movie you've ever done. But what about Predator? What about Terminator 2? Like, you need those other ones in there. With Van Damme, he's got five great movies. Bloodsport is, is the, the hands-down best. After that, it's Kickboxer, where he battles Tong Po. Third place is Lionheart, a very underrated movie. It's another one of those underground 
illegal fighting tournament things. And that's where he battles Attila the Hun that we talked about. I think you have to put Lionheart third place because it's one of the movies that it has an iconic moment, an iconic line. We don't get a lot of great Jean-Claude Van Damme lines, but we get one in there. It's the final fight. He's in the middle of getting his butt whooped by Attila. He finds out that his buddy has bet a lot of money on Attila. He's like, oh, I thought you were going to lose. We should, we're going to split the money. Just stay down. We're friends now. I'm going to share the money that I bet on Attila with you. And then Van Damme gets very mad and he sort of looks at him and he says, wrong bet. Kara, can you play that clip right here? Can we hear the wrong bet line? Look, it's on him, man. The whole bet's on Attila. Wrong bet. That's great. That's great. So you've got that one in third place. You've got Death Warrant, where he goes to prison. In fourth place, it's where he fights the Sandman. And then in fifth place, you've probably got Double Impact. I think that's the order it goes in. Bloodsport, Kickboxer, Lionheart, Death Warrant, and then Double Impact. That's the order. Not Bloodsport and Double Impact. Next question. Hey, what's up, Jake? It's Ian from Nashville, Tennessee. I actually got a question not about the villain of this episode, but the hero. Has anyone ever gotten more mileage out of a single skill than Jean-Claude Van Damme? That skill being the middle splits. You guys mentioned it's featured like five, six times in that one movie. It's featured at least multiple times in key plot points in all the movies that follow. So that's it. Has anyone ever done more middle splits than Jean-Claude Van Damme? Or without him, is he just like Dolph Lundgren? Big dude, weird accent, lots of muscles in one movie and everyone forgets it. All right, man. Love the podcast. Keep it up. Bye. Having a specific move is very important. Yes. Especially if you're not that good of an actor. Like you need a thing that you can fall back on. Because it definitely became a situation where after like three movies of having seen Van Damme do the splits, you started watching Van Damme movies specifically to see him do the splits. As far as other people who have had gimmicks that they've leaned on like that, an easy example, we were just talking about him, would be Schwarzenegger. He had the Albie back line that he referenced in a bunch of other movies following Terminator. Although it's probably more accurate to say his signature move was sort of flattening out the emotional spectrum and becoming like as machine-like as possible. Shaq. <laughs> Shaq was in the league for almost 20 years because he was good at dunking. And also good at giving good interviews. Like, that's a good trick. Uh, back to acting. Samuel L. Jackson has a thing where he says motherfucker in a bunch of different ways. Uh, to be clear, though, that's not his only move. He's a great actor. That's just one of the things that he's known for. Michelle Rodriguez is always the sort of tougher than tough woman. Harrison Ford has a finger point. Tom Cruise has a sprint. I've been rewatching the Ocean's Eleven movies. And Brad Pitt is always eating or drinking something in those like, there are a bunch of other people who have signature moves. But yeah, I, I don't know if any of them have gotten as much use out of them as Jean-Claude Van Damme has gotten out of his. So yeah, you can put him at the top of the list. Or if not that, then somewhere near the top of the list, definitely. Next question. Hi, this is Andrea from Baltimore. Question. With Chong-Li choosing, you choosing Chong-Li as the villain from Bloodsport, do you think he was more evil in Enter the Dragon, or do you think he was at his best in Bloodsport? 
I personally think Enter the Dragon, but your opinion is greatly appreciated. Love the show. Keep it going. I'm glad you asked this question, Andrea. There was a part in the podcast where I mentioned that the first time I'd seen Bolo Young was as Chongli and Bloodsport. And because of that, I got a bunch of messages from people telling me that I needed to watch Enter the Dragon because he was in there too and blah, blah, blah. We actually had, when I say we, I mean me, John, and Kevin actually had a whole sidebar conversation in the Chong Lee episode about exactly that. And we were talking about how so many of the things he did in Bloodsport were a callback to Enter the Dragon, like the Brick Not Hit Backline, which was a spin on a thing that Bruce Lee said in Enter the Dragon. Kara, can you play that line right here? Can you play the Bruce Lee line? Oh, don't hit back. To your question, though, I think Chong Lee is a better villain in Bloodsport than Bolo is as Moon in Into the Dragon. Because both of his characters are scary, no question. And both of his characters are murderers, no question. So they're tied in those two boxes. But only one of them ends up fighting the main protagonist of the movie. And that's Chong Lee and Bloodsport. Bolo never got to fight Bruce Lee and Into the Dragon. I think a lot of people sort of have gelled those two characters together in their mind. And, and we think that there's a Bruce Lee versus... Chong Lee fight scene, but there's not. He ended up getting beaten by John Saxon's character in Into the Dragon. So give me Chong Lee from Bloodsport. Next question. Hey, Shay, this is Terrence. I'm calling from Shanghai, China. Uh, love the pod. Love that you picked Chong Lee. Um, one thing I wanted to mention is did you realize that Bolo Yarn was 41? when he filmed uh, this part, and he had previously been Mr. Hong Kong, the bodybuilding champion of Hong Kong. Uh, question for you, what do you think happened in next year's Kumite? Did Frank Deuce come back and defend his title, or did Chong Lee come back and wipe the slate of every other fighter that came to challenge? Um, love the pod. Hope I'm not going to hell. Thanks. If we ignore the actual Bloodsport 2 that happened which had a knockoff Jean-Claude Van Damme versus a knockoff Chong Lee. If we ignore that and we just try to imagine what the Bloodsport universe looks like following Frank's win, I don't think he returns to defend his title. The only reason he went to fight in the Kumite in the first place was to honor Tanaka and to honor Tanaka's deceased son. Chong Lee definitely comes back. In all likelihood, he wins again when Frank is gone. But Frank doesn't come back. He was too noble for that. He wasn't interested in that kind of glory. And right here seems like a good place to talk about how Bloodsport is billed as being based on a true story. Like there's a real and actual Frank Dukes in the world. Except, but his story about competing in an underground martial arts competition with the world's masters was proven to be a gigantic lie. Even the trophy that he had for winning the Kumite Someone found out, I think it was the Los Angeles Times, but someone found out that he'd gotten the trophy made for himself at a trophy shop down the street from his house or some shit like that. <laughs> I can't lie though, I kind, of, I kind of respect that hustle. Although some flags should have gone up. Like if you're, if you're telling somebody you won an underground martial arts tournament against the best fighters in the world, and it's been happening for years and years and years. It's this honored tradition. 
where you can go in there and you can kill a person and nothing will happen to you. Like if you're telling somebody you won that fight and then you're like, here's my proof. Look at this trophy. <laughs> I, I got a trophy just like you give a fourth grader in a soccer league. We get the same kind of. <laughs> somebody should have figured this out ahead of time. I'm glad they didn't though, because then we would not have gotten Bloodsport the movie. Next question. Shay, this is Chris from Phoenix. The Villains podcast was incredible. It was brilliant. And Chong Lee was clearly the villain of the season. And in a cast of so many nefarious characters, I have to ask, is there any chance we're overlooking Shidoshi Tanaka as a person with a villainous background? This is a guy who left Japan under unclear circumstances, trained his kid to be a fighter, and had a kumite mat built for his child in his backyard. There was a baby kumite in his backyard. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Listen, I get, I get what you're saying. In all honesty, you're probably right. Tanaka was probably putting his child's safety in danger <laughs> in the backyard with the kumite mat, with the machine that stretches you into the splits. And we never even really got to hear how or why Tanaka's son died. Like, there's a chance Tanaka was involved there. Either directly or indirectly, Tanaka probably had something to do with that. Like, remember the part early in the movie when Tanaka swipes the sword in front of Frank Duke's face when he's a kid and he cuts the bill off of his hat? Like, maybe Tanaka did that with his son, but his son moved and he had his whole face sliced off like he was in Saw or some shit. Like, you're probably... Right, Tanaka was probably a bad dad, but he's dead. And I don't want to speak ill of the dead. Like there's a list of bad things you can do in movies that automatically get erased from your rap sheet when you die. So people only get to say nice things about you. Tanaka gets right up to the edge there of that list. We only have to say nice things about him though. Next question. Hey, Shay, this is John in Las Vegas. I was calling to get your take on the popular theory that Chong Lee is actually a deaf man. Uh, if you look at the, the evidence, he rarely says anything. Uh, he's got a somewhat, unfortunately, strange voice. And uh, when he celebrates, he makes very little noise. Thoughts on that? Thanks. Ooh, I'd never, I'd never even consider that. That's a fun thing to think about. Was Chong Li actually deaf? Like that's, it makes a lot of sense. All of the, the pieces you're pointing out. If I had to guess though, I would say it had less to do with the writers of the movie writing him as deaf and more it was a combination of A, him not knowing English and also B, the movie crew just not having enough money to figure out ways to get mics on the fighters during the actual fights. Like you need the mic there to hear the scream Otherwise, it's going to sound really dumb. I don't know. But who knows? You might be right. Who knows? Maybe Chong Li was deaf. That's a, that's a compelling twist. Last question. Hey, Shay. So in Bloodsport, when JCVD is wandering around town before his fight with Chong Li to clear his head or whatever, and he has a vision, he sees Chong Li like staring at him through a train window. But in that vision... Chong Li is wearing a shirt. He's wearing like a black collared shirt. So do you think he just 
and his vision wanted him to have some clothes to be less scary? Or is this what Changli was wearing after his fight, you know, in the locker room, Kumite locker room? And I just wonder, what, what do you think the dynamic was after fight when all the fighters were, you know, just chilling back there? Thanks a lot. Bye. That's another thing. That's two things in a row that I'd not considered. I'd not considered the possibility that Chongli was deaf. I'd also not wondered why, as you mentioned, when Jacques-Claude Van Damme imagines Chongli after he's sort of destroyed Ray Jackson's brain, he imagines him in clothes. Like, has he seen him in clothes? That's funny to think about them in the locker room after the fight. They're all just sort of hanging out and Chongli is getting dressed. It would make sense. You would put on like a black button up shirt though. There was a, a movie clip when I was researching for all of this. I was like watching old Chong Lee fights, old Chong Lee scenes, whatever. And there's, there's one where he has, I can't even remember the name of the movie. There's a real quick part in it where he plays like a, a gangster and he's all dressed up and it's the weirdest, <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. It's like when you go to the park and you see a dog in like a suit like a fake dog suit or a hoodie. It's like that, except bigger, like a rhino. Imagine a rhino in a fucking Night at the Roxbury suit. That's what <laughs> That's what it felt like seeing Chong Lee in there. Yeah, I have no idea why he imagined him like that. I figure he probably saw him putting a shirt on, and there you go. That's what it is. It would have been really funny if he would have imagined him shirtless in his like fighting gear, though. it is we are officially at the end of villains Kara my last request to you can you play Sarah McLaughlin's I will remember you as I read through these final credits and then just let it keep playing when I'm done this that's probably my saddest song that I can think of and I'm feeling in my saddest way right now so let's do that Thank you so much to everyone who listened to Villains, and thank you so much to everyone who called into these bonus Q&A episodes. And thank you so much to everyone who told someone else about Villains as the season was going on. It meant a lot. I'm glad that you did that. Thank you to Juliet Lippman and Bobby Wagner and Kara Hart, and to anyone else who worked on any of the episodes. I'm sad that it's done tell your people to go listen to the old episodes if they've not already I'm going to miss working on this podcast no more questions goodbye